0: State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Mimi Watring, Senior Vice President of Publisher Sales and Client Services at DoubleVerify about their recently released Publisher Inventory Capability Score and Digital Media Measurement. DoubleVerify helps publishers improve measurement, insights, and tools to improve ad delivery, enhance inventory quality, and drive ad yield performance. Let's begin!
1: Hi, Mimi. How are you?
0: Good, Vahe. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. Mimi, I guess uh, we've come across through introductions from other people, and it's been interesting to see what Double Verify is doing in the space, and particularly with the scoring benchmark and standard they're trying to bring in. But before we go into that, I just wanted to ask you, just I guess with changing your job during COVID and everything else, how has that been with you, and how has everything been in general?
0: Thank you for asking. Interesting times, right? And I have had an interesting journey and am very excited to be at Double Verify. I joined Double Verify in mid-May and did go through the recruiting process and the interviewing process and the onboarding process all remotely, which was a very unique experience given that with COVID, everything is kind of done virtually now. So I have not yet met many of my colleagues or some of my clients in a uh, person-to-person setting. I look forward to doing that soon. But I think there have been a lot of learnings from how to be more flexible, how to really maximize your time. There's been a lot of really good learnings during this Unique time and being able to onboard and uh, start a new chapter of my career virtually has definitely been a good experience that I can learn from.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I'd love to touch more on that and some career advice towards mm-hmm. our, the conclusion of our conversation. But let's start with your background, Mimi. How did you come into the industry and how did you get to working with Double Verify today?
0: My path to DoubleVerify has had a couple of twists and turns, like all of us industry veterans. I started my career in sales and on the digital side when digital was very, very new. I like to tell people that I started at DoubleClick before Google was around. So it's pretty funny that eventually Google went ahead and acquired DoubleClick. But when I was at DoubleClick, Google was only a thought. The industry has changed quite a bit in the, the 20 plus years that I've been a part of it. And I'm very proud to have been one of the, the early industry entrants and learned about advertising technology at the very early stages. And I went through my career at a lot of different spots, but mostly in the ad network space. I spent a lot of time working with publishers who were trying to maximize the value of their inventory. And as exchanges came on and things like that, it was is a really interesting time to see the dynamic shift from a kind of old world direct selling to programmatic. And then I joined a publisher here in Chicago. I worked for Tribune Interactive and was really excited to go publisher side after working with a lot of them as a vendor. And then I decided that I'd had a so much fun learning about advertising technology and publishing and operations that I wanted to try something new. And I took a very hard left turn and went down the path of um, learning all about data and identity. And I was very fortunate to land at Axiom when they were building their digital group and was one of the first entrants at Axiom that had digital experience and understood the ad tech space and That was really, really interesting for me because data is a whole different industry altogether and watching kind of the offline data world where PII and direct mail lives converge with the online space, which is very anonymous and very cookie driven and really is trying to... You know, walk the tightrope between those two worlds was immensely educational, frustrating, (laughs) complex, but also a, a tremendous learning experience that, you know, and I enjoyed working at Axiom and LiveRamp and learning that space before ultimately being called back to my happy place. Which is working with publishers in the ad tech world. And Double Verify came along at, at just the perfect time with a similar opportunity to join a startup within a large company and oversee our publisher team and uh, start to build that product and that business from the ground up. So that's what I'm I'm looking forward to doing and rolling up my sleeves and getting into it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I mean, you've got a wealth of experience and sometimes like as well, just coming back and resetting your scenario, like gives you an additional advantage. Like you've got the background, but you're starting again, which is a good way to sort of look at things from a different perspective.
0: I think the thing too is data is now reshaping a lot for publishers. And so having my data experience from the offline world and how data is used in different use cases is really helpful now as we look at the landscape of, of where some of our vendors, some of our partners, some of our publishers really need to move their business into a data-driven future. Yeah, And so I, I think it was a good thing for me to learn about basic of data and identity. But now I look forward to kind of taking those learnings and, and transferring them to what I'm working on now.
1: Absolutely. So let's focus on bit about double verify. Like let's play devil's advocate and say like, well, double verify, you know, it could, could potentially be seen as like a Doing programmatic and just similar things that other people are doing. But obviously, there's a big emphasis in Double Verify on measurement and analytics and everything else. Like, what would you say is like for those who haven't heard Double Verify before, like the clear standpoint differentiation of other companies out there that are doing similar things?
0: Like all in our digital industry, you know, we do have strong competitors, which means it's a strong. Category to be in, which is yeah. exciting. One thing I'll say is, you know, Double Verify has been the gold standard in ad verification since the beginning. And I say that from a knowledge standpoint of when I was on the publisher side, yeah. and we would see Double Verify um, very influential with our large advertisers and agencies. And so th- they've been tried and true to their core value of transparency and building a safer and more suitable environment for advertisers. And they really haven't moved away from their core values, which is great. They've grown and they've enhanced their product set, but they have really stayed true to the ad verification space and different areas have developed right so you've got fraud and that that has different implications with different settings you have viewability that changed you know mid 2000s where that became a really big standard with advertisers and the IAB and so you know that became a very important metric you're looking at ways that publishers have to condense their tech stack so How can they look at one tag that can do lots of things, right? So the Omni tag that we have on the DV advertiser side. So all of these things, they were ahead of the curve on the advertiser side of the business. So from a competitive standpoint, I think from a brand perspective, if you've been in the ad tech space, you have definitely run across Double Verify at some point. If, however, you've been in the publisher space, Double Verify has always been more on the advertiser and agency side. So in the last year, the consensus has been that now we have products that we can take to our publisher clients Mm -hmm. um, and bring them into the fold and bring them into the metrics that we've always had and open up that black box and be able to figure out a way that we can be more transparent while being a neutral party in the middle. And that is the new kind of forward thinking that we don't want to be a walled garden. We want to be open and share data at a privacy and secure way that lifts all boats. And again, if it's a good publisher that has good content and that we feel comfortable working with, then great. That advertiser should also want to learn more about that publisher. So This is an area where everyone wins in this scenario.
1: This brings ties in together with the announcement of ICS and everything you guys are doing around that. So just for those who haven't heard again about that announcement, are you able to share a bit about that and how that's sort of coming into the publisher side?
0: Yeah, this has been a a very exciting month for us. While we've had the DVPS, which stands for Double Verify Publisher Suite, While we've had this product in market for just a year now, and we have multiple pieces of product within the suite, we've been working very hard to listen to our publisher clients. And while we know that on the revenue and analytics side that we have um, products that support use cases, we also knew that on the media quality side that we needed to develop a way that we can, again, be that neutral party that provides creditation to the data that they have through our tags. And so the product team worked very closely with our publishers and our advertisers um, to come up with what we call the Inventory Compatibility Score, or ICS. And what this does is it's a score that basically says to the publisher, That your inventory is compatible with what this advertiser is looking for, and that gives you a percentage score. And it measures up against their viewability and other metrics, brand suitability being a big one, so that the publisher now can say, well, I don't understand why you're saying that my inventory is not suitable. Tell me more. Well, now they have this tool that they can look at and they can say, oh, now I see why there's a URL that's being flagged as this particular category of inventory. I need to look into that and see what is triggering that from being placed in the wrong category. It gives our publishers tools now to be able to have a constructive conversation with the advertiser. That again, gets every party to the place that we want to be, which is to have more advertisements shown on more brand suitable inventory. And ultimately, that consumer has a good experience and the publisher makes revenue that represents the premium content that they care about
1: when was that decision made to release this like was it during the time where google already made that announcement of going away from third-party cookies and and sort of objectively i know you're you're an advocate of double verify where does that benchmark still in the industry at the moment when you're considering the likes of flock or people going to first-party data to really measure their own mm. quality of partnerships and everything else
0: very interesting question so on the first part In terms of the rollout. So while we do keep an eye on what the industry is doing, and we're very in tune with what's happening with Google and third-party cookies, Double Verify doesn't necessarily rely on cookies for collection of data, right? So we have ad tags and we don't collect data off of a cookie. So for us, the cookie situation is interesting to watch. And I think it is kind of reading the tea leaves about other regulations. And so it's important to continue to watch how that unfolds, but it doesn't necessarily impact our roadmaps or our business like it does some of our other vendors. That said, the new kind of wave of how to measure, and I think there is a appetite in the industry to see a neutral measurement partner in that nobody wants to see someone grade their own homework, right? So if you are going to tell us as a publisher, they might use their first party data, but advertisers want to see the calculations. They want to see that the ROI is justified and that they're spending their dollars in the right place. So that measurement that maybe some of the larger walled gardens are able to do without checks and balances when you get into the smaller publishers, that's a lot harder to do on your own. So there is this feeling of, from the publisher set, that this is very helpful to have a kind of a third-party scoring that matches up in the same lingo, the same terminology that our advertisers are used to hearing. So viewability, fraud, brand safety, all those things are terms that they're comfortable with. Um, We're not introducing a new measurement model here. We're not introducing any new dynamics, but we're connecting the dots between what the advertiser is is targeting and looking for and what the publisher is supplying um, and being able to have both people be able to work off of the same sheet of music
1: how does this compare with some of the standards that IAB because you mentioned about having an industry-wide benchmark and Mm -hmm. I guess there's been some cases in the past where IAB or whether it might be Nielsen or other other sort of companies they have tried to do that same thing it's a mammoth task like Oh, yeah. It's very commendable what you guys are trying to do, but obviously it's a mammoth task. And at any stage, if, if one sort of big publisher decides not to follow that standard, then there might be a little bit of a domino effect. What do you guys see from that perspective in adoption and measurement?
0: Yeah, I don't know that we're looking to take on the universe here. I think we're looking to provide a tool of value to our publishers. Yeah. And so what we're using is the publisher feedback loop. So for ICS, we had a beta program. We got input from our publishers, not only about the look and feel of the UI, but also about the components, the scoring, the methodology, etc. And same goes for uh, on our advertiser side, right? So Whenever we roll things out, we like to get our advertisers input and things like that. And I don't know this, but from my perspective, we're looking to create value for our clients and for our future clients within our tool sets. Now, whether that becomes an industry standard or not, or if our competitors follow us down this path, which we've seen in the past, to then create a similar metric that is TBD. But right now, we're looking more to continue to service our clients and maximize the value that they're seeing from the data that we have on both sides uh, of our house.
1: I appreciate the clarification on that. So then if that's the case then what do you see or what's some of the priorities that from a media and data measurement point of view in for the post third party cookie world that double verifies publisher clients are looking into at the moment?
0: yeah so we have partnerships with a lot of vendors and I think for us as it relates to first party data our advertisers are always looking to bring that in right and that that goes through kind of our agency partners or ad server partners, and then publishers on the other side, as it relates to measurement. The the metrics that we look at are more around viewability, brand suitability, those types of contextual, so categorization of inventory. We don't do as much in the audience demographic space, we don't tell you like the composition of the person that is coming to your publisher. That's not our area. Our area is more, was the ad seen? Was it above the fold, below the fold? If it's in a video player, did it run? Did it have you know all the details around kind of more of the ad operations side of the house? And then on our revenue metrics, we do bring in first and third party data for financial reconciliation. So we're thinking about like pacing of inventory, um, discrepancies between what Google Ad Manager might say and what the publisher system might say. Bringing in all of the programmatic feeds to read those different CPMs and dollars and impressions and pull those all together into dashboards. So not only do we work on the media quality side of the house with measurement, we also do reporting and analytics that can be used by the publisher to create ROI reports and things like that.
1: I guess on that point as well, on, on media measurement, like tag tags still going to be the way to go in collecting those different metrics and areas that you guys are collecting data for or how do you see that sort of technology evolving as well moving forward?
0: Yeah, that's tough. You know, we are always looking at that in terms of what, especially from the publisher side, right? So with us, we wrap our tags within the ad server. So with certain products that we do uh, wrappers, and we do that within the the client or the publisher's ad server, we do have a few products where we actually do put ad tags on page, but we are very conscious of the fact that publishers are concerned about the latency of their pages and the more signals that they have, the more pulls that they have on their pages, it does dampen the user experience, right? So there is a balance there that we are constantly working on with our publishers. And so with our media quality tags being within their ad server uh, and not being on the page, like it definitely works to help with that. But in order to pull in the data, right, having ad tags on the page is always kind of the best way to bring in the most data possible. So, there is kind of this like trade off between those two things that our product and engineering team is always kind of looking at what's that right balance.
1: What's something that excites you at the moment with all this that's happening at the moment with Double Verify? Like, what's one particular aspect of it that,
0: that excites you? Yeah, so I think that there's a couple things. One is it's so exciting that Double Verify is investing in the publisher space. Like I said, they've historically always worked with advertisers and agencies, and, and some of our competitors have been more focused on the publisher side. So For me, who has a soft spot for publishers and for kind of the future of Double Verify, I really love the idea that we're looking to connect both sides of the supply chain, right? So we're looking at buyers and sellers and being able to say, how can we bring these two together and really maximize that connection without too many vendors in the middle? And that's why we put our suite of products together into these packages where a publisher not only works with us on the media quality side, but they also work with us on the revenue and analytics side so that they can draw all of that data together and be able to look at one holistic picture Um, instead of having point solutions, managing multiple vendors, multiple contracts that have different renewal dates, different points of contact at different customer service sites. So We really tried to help the publisher by taking the multitude of vendors out of the friction and go all through kind of one door. And that way, being able to, again, bring the DV advertiser side of the business into the mix, but also for the publishers continue to add value where they can stand alone.
1: Appreciate clarification on that. Is there any examples or case studies you can share with us at the moment and our audience on a measurement initiative that you're seeing across for one of the clients and sort of how that's made a difference with proving ad viewability or brand safety and detection and all that?
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So inventory compatibility score has been out in market maybe for a month. So it's a really new product. Again, the amount of interest, it's beaten our expectations. So many of our publishers are really happy with this and and new publishers are coming to us and asking for more information. So we're just at the early stages and and we do hope to have a publisher uh, work with us on a case study in the near future. But for now, I think what I would say is there's certain use cases that this unlocks for us and for our publishers that maybe uh, we didn't have before. And and I'll point to one in particular, right? So a lot of times the ad verification products are managed through kind of the revenue operations teams and more on the ad ops side of the house. What inventory compatibility score does is it opens up a new dialogue between the publisher sales team and the advertiser buyer. And by that, I mean, Now the publisher can access a report or a a, um, a visual that they can take into their sales decks and be able to say, hey, Mr. Agency Buyer, I know you're super busy and you have a thousand vendors calling on you, but I do know that you work with Double Verified. Did you know that I work with them as well? And... Our inventory is extremely compatible for what you're trying to do with your next ad campaign. And really be able to have a one-on-one discussion with that advertiser around topics that the advertiser is very knowledgeable about, as well as has a direct impact to their careabouts, which is their client and their consumers and their ad campaign. So this really opens the door for us to work closer with the publisher sales teams, those uh, revenue opportunities. Um, to be able to dig deep into the diagnostics of what's happening and so that they're not as reactive when an advertiser calls and says, oh, I had to stop the campaign because we got this terrible report from DoubleVerify, right? We want to be able to have that publisher salesperson know, oh, I'm going to get a call because I've seen that our compatibility score went down. And I noticed that because we had a certain new article go up that had a a URL that had certain words that they're trying to, to target away from. So now that salesperson has that information, when they get that call and say, hey, yeah, I saw that too. I went ahead and took care of that. We're going to work with our editorial staff to like, remove that content. In the meantime, go ahead and continue the campaign and we're going to work on our side to, to pull that content from your targeting. It does open up this more transparent and educated conversation to be you know, productive, which in the past, maybe they weren't able to have.
1: And it's sort of triggered some thought for me now that you said that. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Um, the the role of the salesperson within the publisher organization as well, like it's become very much, for a lack of word, under scrutiny because people are trying to do more direct deals. Uh, publishers trying to be more lean in their operations. Like mm-hmm. how do you think the use case that you presented now helps them? And generally speaking, like how does that help that person or even the sales aspect of the organization with in growing the revenue?
0: in my opinion, I couldn't agree with you more. Publisher salespeople are heroes. (laughs) That is a tough job to be up against some of those big competitors and and go in and really try and get the meetings and sell into um, the value of their content. And a lot of times the agencies are busy and overworked. There's a lot of challenges there. However, what is always appreciated by all buyers is premium content, right? And so this word of premium content gets thrown around. What is premium content, right? Some For some people, that just means it's not something that's unacceptable, right? For other people, it means the comScore score top 100. For other people, it means it has to be the top of a certain vertical, right? So premium is defined by so many different ways. And I think what this inventory compatibility score does is it it helps to put some guardrails or framework around what premium is in terms of being able to say, yes, I can show you why my inventory is premium. It's because our ad tags are 85% viewable, It's because our content categories match up with the advertising category that you're targeting and a litany of other reasons. And and one thing this will do is is with the diagnostics, the salesperson at the publisher, let's say it's a news publisher, they Mm -hmm. might be able to go in and drill down into a section about food and wine. And what they might find is that they have advertisers that they haven't been able to craft for their food and wine channel. Um, and this might be able to, if the data shows that their content matches up really well with those content categories. They might be able to use this data to go back to an advertiser and say, we really think that you're a good fit for our food and wine category where they might not have ever had revenue before if they're maybe, you know, an Maybe they're a travel site and so they don't get a lot of food and wine advertisers. I don't know, I'm making it up. But the point is, is that they might be able to expand beyond kind of the bucket that they've been put in by using some of this data from Double Verify.
1: Do you have any other general tips in terms of how publishers are going to approach improving their advertising revenue?
0: Yeah, I think this is great for troubleshooting. I also think it's good for optimizations as well. So again, before you get the phone call that hey, you know, our ad campaign's not doing very well. This is a chance to be proactive and be able to go in and say, okay, where are we matching up? Where's our inventory making the most sense for this type of advertiser? And kind of do that early research while the campaign is going on or potentially even after the campaign is over. I also think that It helps to know what to avoid pitching too. So if you know that like this group of advertiser content always has a low compatibility score against a certain area of your website, maybe when you renew the campaign, you want to kind of optimize out that section of your site so that you have a higher You know, viewability score or a higher uh, brand suitability score, right? So it does help by being able to be a little bit more in control and make good, you know, business decisions.
1: Appreciate that. Thank you. Let's go back to. When we initially started a conversation, you mentioned how there was a lot of new things you learned, particularly in this climate, as you changed your role with everything that's happened. Just diving a bit more into that, like being in your leadership position, what would be like the one or two main things that you can expand on that we spoke about earlier that would be helpful for other professionals in a similar situation like you to progress in the role that you are in today?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One is if we're talking about joining a new organization, especially virtually, I think being able to really pace yourself in terms of knowing that it's a marathon and not a race. And when you're in your virtual world, it can be hard to take that break or step back from the to-do list or the next email. I think really, and everybody talks about you know self-care and being able to go for a walk, like all these things, but I do feel that it is extremely overwhelming to take a new job in any form. It just is. It's taxing on your brain. You've got to learn new things, you've got to meet new people. You have to be on all the time. Like there's so many requirements just on taking a new job. Then to add the adding in the the video screen and the the um kind of isolation of being on your own. I think it it helps to break it up by, you know, giving yourself those windows of time. Now I say that, <laughs> And I don't always do that. But that is, I think, uh, one step. The other is empathy for others that are going through kind of the same challenges. So whether that's with your onboarding group or with your new teammates, I really appreciate it when um, people are real and people say, you know, I'm just not turning my video on today because I did not have time to like you know, get it together this morning, you know, as opposed to everybody pretending that this is easy. And I have tried to demonstrate that myself by being, you know, very honest with my coworkers and my team. But I also really appreciate it when people bring a little bit of levity to the situation by being real. And then Finally, I would say from a leadership perspective, one thing that has been so amazing is that as a working mom, I am able to really balance my work and my life, even at the level that I'm at. And having the flexibility to do that has been a game changer. And while having kids home and learning from home and being around my office at first was very challenging. I think what it did was it opened everyone's eyes to the fact that this can be done. It doesn't have to be one or the other, it can be both. And there are days that we go to the office and we interact with our colleagues and we're in work mode. And then there's other days where we need to be closer to home. I really appreciate that the industry is kind of turning that way to to allow for that flexibility because for people like me, I think it is definitely something that's very important
1: yeah and i think from my perspective as well like it's a realization that people don't have to earn that balance or opportunity to earn that get that balance they can sort of find other companies or people with mm-hmm. the same values that can help you with that integration because at the end of the day for me like a lot of us are working most of our hours of our day and life and you want to make that more meaningful and also do a good job for your work so for me it's more of an integration
0: when TiVo first came out, I know I'm old, but, or DVR. And like that freedom of, oh, I don't have to be in front of the TV to watch the show right now. I can tape it and watch it later. And it's, that that was just like one, you know, one small step. And now you look at how people stream television, watch movies, all of it has changed to be when it's convenient for us, right? When it's convenient for my family, my time, Maybe it's Sunday afternoon that binging Netflix works for me, so I'm going to watch five episodes. In some ways, I feel like with work, you can do that too, which is, okay, this morning, I'm really busy with other life stuff, but over the weekend, I'm going to do a lot of work, right? So that flexibility of being able to kind of decide, I'm going to be just as productive but I'm not going to necessarily follow your schedule. I'm going to follow my schedule that works for me. It feels a little bit more empowering.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And power to you as well and, and to everyone else that's hearing this. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate that. What's like one main lesson as well that if you start all over again, you will tell yourself?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, don't have so much self-doubt. You know, I think that when you first start out, especially in your career or if you're in a kind of a, a new world, which I started in tech, which was kind of new. And I kind of had that feeling of, you know, am I really doing this right? Am I doing the best that I can possibly do? I think it's again, knowing that, you know, be confident in your have the business acumen, you have the right training, you're doing the right things and and give yourself that grace to learn. I think early on, for me at least, there was a lot of doubt about like, should I take this job? Should I not? Should I work on this project? Should I not? As opposed to, you know, really feeling comfortable to fail. I'll say when I did fail, which was with um, one of our startups, it was one of the best learning experiences that I had. And many of the people that were at that startup with me have gone on to amazing careers. And we all look back at that time as like extremely transformational because yeah, we were working on something that was really hard and we were trying to build a business that was somewhat unsupported, but we believed in it. We worked really hard. It didn't make it, but we learned a lot out of that experience. And so sometimes I think If you fail, you can learn more from that than always having a winning record. Now, we all like to win, and I hope you win more than you lose. But (laughs) if you do lose, you'll probably have some good life lessons out of it.
1: How do you make sure that you don't put a limit to yourself on that? Um, Sometimes like you might think that the amount that you're willing to fail is Mm -hmm. enough or like people put it like a subconsciously, like a limit to themselves. Like, yeah, how do you not do that? But also do that within reason, I guess.
0: For me, it's a personal choice of how risk averse are you? I am always amazed by some of my colleagues who continue to go to really small startups and risk every single time that it's not going to have. So I think at different stages too of my life, I've been more willing to take risks than other stages. I think I look at it from the perspective of what's going to suit me right now. I look forward to down the road, you know, once I've kind of come through the other side of this parenting cycle and be able to take some of those risks again and be able to have the freedom to do that. Um, That's just a personal choice for me Um, But I do think that you want to be true to yourself as to what works for you. If having those risks is what drives you every morning, then go for it. But I think if you want to try some now or try some later, that's okay too.
1: That's awesome. And I appreciate the advice as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe just looking ahead with uh, plans for double verifying for yourself, are you able to share some of those plans for 2022 and beyond?
0: Yeah, our product roadmap is fantastic. I work very closely with our product leadership, our client services leadership, and we are really motivated to bring to our publishers quality products that will impact their business from day one. And so while. Everybody knows that, you know, product roadmaps are hard to kind of keep on schedule and product roadmaps. There's always new features and functionalities that clients want. I am super excited about what we're building towards with the DVPS suite. And I'm also really looking forward to continuing to um, pull back that veil from the black box and be able to continue to work really closely with our publisher partners to help them have access to the type of data, like I said, that will raise all boats, that will help them um, support their advertising clients, that will give them the tools to make good decisions and to ultimately make the industry a safer place for everyone.
1: That's really exciting to hear. And how about your personal plans and self-learning goals as well?
0: I am super excited that I am in a part of a couple of big, great industry organizations and doing a lot of mentoring. I think that I really look forward to continuing to give back to uh, the next generation. So the things that I've learned along the way, um, being able to mentor people who are entering our industry that have a lot of questions about how to navigate um, big organizations or break the glass ceiling or learn a new trade. And so I look forward to continuing to do that while it's hard to carve out time for anything. Yeah. Um, I do feel strongly about continuing to mentor, whether it's within Double Verify or within the community at large.
1: I hope, like you said, like you move out, out of that certain phase uh, that can allow you to, to take more risk and do more of those things. And with that, Mimi, I really appreciate your time and, and sharing with us ICS and everything that you guys are doing today. Thank you so much.
0: Bye. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting with you and um, I look forward to when our paths might connect again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.